You're listening to Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. Conversations with creatives during the quarantine. Hey, this is Stir Crazy with Steve Jenkins. I'm Steve Jenkins. Welcome to episode number 13. It's hard to believe it's been a little more than a month since this podcast launched. So I want to say thanks and welcome to all the new listeners and, of course, the people who have been returning to listen episode after episode. And as always, if you like what you hear, please rate and review this if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And also, the feedback and enthusiasm is greatly appreciated. Today, my guest is Adam Dorn. Adam is a composer, songwriter, producer, bass player, and DJ. You can hear some of his scoring work on the Showtime docuseries Enemies, Season 3 of the well-loved True Crime podcast serial, the HBO documentary about Robin Williams called Robin Williams Come Inside My Mind, and he also scored the Richard Pryor documentary called Omit the Logic. Beyond his career as a composer, Adam's a successful jazz-oriented dance music producer and DJ. He calls himself Motion Worker, and a lot of that stuff can be heard on his solo records and also film and TV, including The Devil Wears Prada, The Born Supremacy, CSI, and more. And if that wasn't enough, Adam's also a kick-ass bass player. He'll probably deny this, but it's true. And of course, I know about stuff like this. He's also the son of the renowned jazz and R&B producer Joel Dorn. And Adam grew up around a lot of legendary musicians and studied with Marcus Miller, and also got the occasional bit of musical wisdom from people like Miles Davis, David Sanborn, and Luther Vandross. I know a lot of us are able to stay somewhat safe and shielded from the threat of this pandemic, at least for now, but it's really important to note just how many significant musicians we've lost since this whole time period began. People like John Prine, Ellis Marsalis, Wallace Roney, Henry Grimes, Fred the Godson, Ty, Adam Schlesinger, and more. Adam talks about Hal Wilner, who was an amazing music producer who unfortunately passed away due to complications from the coronavirus. Hal did a lot of things that probably all of us knew about, but maybe didn't know exactly who was behind all of it. Hal was the sketch music producer for Saturday Night Live, and he also was the producer of the well-loved TV show Night Music that David Sanborn hosted. And if you're like me and like taking deep dives into cool music TV performances, you really won't do any better than digging up those old episodes of Night Music. Hal's passing was a major loss for music in the world, and my condolences go to his family and all the people who loved him and knew him best. And our conversation today starts with Adam remembering him. What's been happening? Well, uh, I have to say, like, besides, I think, the regular anxiety that everybody is feeling and, and just the, you know, tension and maybe maybe anger, uh, you know, because of the way this has been handled on a federal level. Mm-hmm. I've unfortunately had two really, really close friends die. Uh, and I and I don't want to start off you know, your podcast with like an absolutely somber note. I, I do have really funny stories and, and good things connected to those, but I have to say I'm, you know, five weeks into this experience, which I think is going to last a lot longer. Um, it, it really hits home and it's really been hard. Um, but all things considered, you know, just soldiering on and being, 
you know, it, it's just weird. You know, when someone that you're really close with passes away and you have no sense of being able to see their family or, or, or have a funeral or, you know, experiencing a Zoom memorial was like, I'm just going to be honest, it kind of sucked. So, um, but it was also, it had moments where it was cool, but it's just really weird because, you know, it's, it's basically like listening to people remember everyone and then like yelling at people about muting their mi their microphones. <laughs> so it's it, on that level, it's kind of comical because, you know, you have all these generations like, you know, 70, 80 people on a call and you're like, I don't want to be the bad guy, but like tell the 84 year old to like m mute his mic, you know, like it's, <laughs> it sounds like the Lou Gehrig speech right now with the feedback, you know? Um, so that, so that, that's been really surreal, but there's also a beauty to it where you still got to connect with people and you still got to, you know, share memories and, 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 you know, deal with the anxiety that everyone's dealing with. I think it's also like you and I are in LA mm. and it's a much different experience. I think than people are experiencing in New York, like exponentially different. Have you, have you spoken to any folks on the show that are still in New York? Um, I talked to Vernon and, Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's, it's not to say that, I mean, I, I guess this isn't a dig at Staten Island at all, but like he's, he's there. And, and I think there's a bit more, um, there's a bit more space out yes. there in some ways. Yeah. And like maybe people, maybe just because of the fact that it's not geographically far from the city at all, but it's definitely but it's far in a lot of other ways. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a subway. You don't have like. You know, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you have buses that go out there that connect through Brooklyn and you have like stuff like that. But there isn't like a direct subway line that goes out there. So right. by and large, like, I don't know exactly. Um, I don't really know like that his experience is any less so than like people that live in other parts of the five boroughs. But um, right. I, I definitely know he's gone in, into the city for various things, maybe just to like see what it looks like or or stuff like that um right but but no i mean i mean he's i you know like i've heard from him my one of my best friends he lives in greenpoint so i've been hearing about stuff via him mm -hmm. but uh no man i mean i can't even imagine what it was like uh, what it must be like to to live there i mean i look i mean and i'm not saying this to be funny but just to frame what that experience is like i mean it's like you kind of know like if someone on the subway like took a piss somewhere you know and you kind of right. like but it, there's really no place to go when you're dealing with something that's like not visible and then right. it's almost virtually undetected and exactly yeah and i i don't know if you ever got to this level of ocd with the subway but i remember definitely like trying to make note of every time i would touch the the pole on the inside of the car or like the rail or something and just yeah. like note to self don't touch your face um that's wild you know honestly i got to a place where unless i was going to a yankees game and I just didn't have a choice. Like, honestly, I didn't take the subway. And, oh, wow. And, and, the, and the wild part, I mean, and I lived there for most of my life. I mean, like 25 years. And, and 
I just didn't take... Now, that's not to say I didn't get in filthy cabs and touch nasty stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy the New York City subway. And and it it's it's funny because I, I go... You know, we both get to go overseas and travel and tour and do gigs and, and just see other countries. And it's like, I would happily take the 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 metro in paris and the you know the subway system in tokyo and like go on other cities major rapid transit new york just always was vile to me like i just felt like how can we not have this shit together with the subway It, it was just vile like even when they made a station new new and clean it was just like yeah it's gonna be a toilet in like a month you know um so it's funny I, I took it to another level, man. I, I just didn't use it. You know, I was like, I'll take a cab or I'll walk. It's one of my favorite walking places in the country. But um, you and I, man, we remember when we walked from like, we walked from way on the Upper West Side one day when I was out there working. We both happened to be in New York. Remember that? We walked down like most of the city on the West Side. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it's a very... It's a very walkable city, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's it's also. I think the the other thing about about that that whole thing, that whole experience of living there, is like, um, for me, riding the subway was also a way to mitigate my fears because um, I I'm not I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic all the time, but I know that I felt I felt a lot of um i felt a lot of claustrophobia when i would take it and it was like at peak rush hour and stuff oh yeah so so i always felt like if i took if i took the subway every day it sort of kept that it gave me a way to manage all that stuff and i felt like i was in control of it um because it always it always seemed like a really weird uh a really weird way to deal with it but it just was sort of like a like a um, unnecessary means to an end. So it's like, well, I got to get over this. Um, right, I get that, and that's cool. That's a good attitude to look at something like that and say, like, listen, I just have to do this. So I have to figure out how to make this work for me. So, you know, subway use as means, uh, you know, towards personal growth, you know, is cool. Um, yeah. I just was started making a couple bucks and was like, I'm sorry. I, I if it's eleven bucks to take a cab right now and I'm gonna be more comfortable and it's not gonna be hundred and eleventy five degrees, I'm taking a <laughs> I'm taking a cab. And it was funny, yeah. you know, you gotta you also my old man, you know, lived in the city for, you know, probably the better part of forty years and he was just like, Don't take the subway. Like why would you take he like i literally would only see him on the subway like if we went to yankees games and he would be so i could just see him being like uh when are we getting there it was just so funny like and <laughs> otherwise not that guy you know what i mean but uh you know it, it's funny you know just to backtrack a little bit like you mentioned vernon yep. i've spoken to him a ton in in the last week because our buddy hal is the guy i was talking about hal wilner he passed away and mm-hmm. It's such like the guy had such a wide connection to so many musicians that it says a lot that like, you know, the next day I'm talking to like I I was talking to Vernon, who, truth be told, I completely forgot, worked on one of Hal's records in like the late 80s. You know, um, which one was that? 
he worked on a record called Weird Nightmares, so a Charles Mingus. Uh, oh right, tribute. right. And really, really cool record. And it's uh, I think Vernon's on a track with Don Elias, and uh, you know I don't exactly know the the personnel on 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 the tracks or track he was on, um, but it's just like all these people cross paths with Hal, and he was such a wild guy. Like I, it, you know, to think of the people I met through this one individual and what they meant for the trajectory of my career is, is ridiculous. I mean, you know, I actually had already met Vernon, uh, in a totally different, uh, context, but, um, but yeah, I mean, just, just a special guy. So it was just a really, this it's, it's what, it's what's making part of this so tough because the guy was like the best man in my wedding and, you know, just someone that I, you know, I, I, I don't. I've never not known him. I've I've known him since I was four. You know, so just just yeah. crazy. Man, I'm you know? sorry. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that he's gone. Uh, I, I remember I met him quickly that at that gig you guys did at the Stone, which. Um, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, we did our we did our insane uh, little band that we had. We did that gig. <laughs> that was yeah. crazy, and and I don't remember which because we did it twice. And three, two or three out of the four or five sets were really good. And then there was just like how would do some crazy shit. And we, I would just be like, I don't know what to do right now. Like he's literally <laughs> playing like, you know, a Henny Youngman record and Sun Ra at the same time. I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I play a beat? Like this, this shit is getting nuts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Stone. Oh man, that place, that place is closed now. Is um, it? Yeah. Uh, for folks listening, this, this club, The Stone, would let. It was owned by John Zorn. I think it's now part of the New School, uh, and and it's a different location, so it's like way more buttoned up and official. Like The Stone, I think the night that you came to see, like we did a gig there, and just to give you an idea of how small this place was, like thirty people in that place was like a like an absolute raging success sellout. And the dudes that would let you in to soundcheck were like these musicians that were like in the John Zorn world and the, <laughs> the bathroom. So dig this, like the guy that lets us in to soundcheck, lets us in, unlocks the door and then proceeds to just go straight into the bathroom, which is like every, there's no stage. It's just one room. So you're back there setting up next to this door. That's the toilet. And he proceeds to just like, literally i mean can i curse that's um, fine yeah. he takes his shit while we're <laughs> while we're sound checking and yeah. i'm like this fucking trombone player with like a gigantic white afro who's like you know i'm like what is your problem like he came out and i'm like dude we are yeah. like literally sound checking in the midst of your colon like that to me it, it, that's the stone like this, that's it. That's the stone was this trombone player taking his shit. You know, just it was so out. I could just I couldn't believe it. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I did gigs there with 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 Charlie uh, and 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 uh, and uh, Scott Amendola and like I mean I just we did we did a bunch of gigs there. But man, yeah, <laughs> anyway, I played, did, you played, I played there. I played there one time, man, and like uh, it was it was with Vernon. Um, we did something there. Um, and like, I just remember feeling like, um, I, I think I had like a friend or two show up and 
they were like, does this place have a bathroom? And I think I said, please don't. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like yeah. they, sh- they should just, I mean, they shouldn't have done, they should have just said no, man. I mean, it's cause they don't, they didn't serve drinks there and it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like a jazz club where you have a menu and stuff like anyway. Dude, it's so it's like, space. it's just a space. Like literally I, I didn't listen to the trombone as an instrument for two years after that experience. I was just like, I hate you, dude. Like, I hate your instrument. I hate everything about you. Yeah, it was it was pretty irrational, but yeah, it, it was a it's but it was a cool little joint. It was the kind of thing New York New York needs spaces like that. You know, they yeah. they they, they kind of make New York New York. I love that Zorn had that space, and it doesn't surprise me at all that you played there with Vernon because that that totally makes sense. Um, you know, they're all part of that same crew, you know, Hal and her and Vernon and, and, and Zorn and all that. They're all buddies. Yeah, um, before that was tonic, you know, that was like the other thing. Oh we, yeah, of course. Um, uh, I think I did a gig there with Hal and, I, and, and Marty, our, our partner on, on Hal's mute stuff that he would do as a solo artist. Uh, I remember tonic tonic was the joint that Mark Rebo used to always, um, protest outside of, of tonic and like demand the musicians get paid and stuff if you remember that i don't remember that so much but i also caught tonic i mean i guess you know when i moved to the city it was sort of at the end of its yeah time. it was almost like uh basically they were starting to have problems i don't know if there was like rent issues but um you know, I played there a few times with different people, and it was cool. But it definitely mm-hmm. felt—it definitely felt like it was fighting for its life. Yeah, at that, at that point, I felt like even when it wasn't fighting for its life, it was fighting for its life. Those spaces always had a hard time because, you know, those neighborhoods everywhere around them were like these, like, you know, three-star Michelin restaurants and like really overpriced apartments, and like it just—they always just got squeezed you know and and the people that were moving into those areas even you know especially when you were seeing the place starting to struggle it was like no one in that neighborhood was going to gigs at that place it, it was just like it was being phased out culturally like in, in in front of your eyes you know what i mean um there was a it, that place was i liked that place I, I i did um i didn't do a ton of gigs there but always kind of similar to the stones something interesting would happen it's kind of like zebulon you know in that respect you know just like something's gonna happen um and i don't know what it is you know like um and new york needs those spaces and i fear i fear that they're kind of losing them you know pandemic aside um i don't really know what the clubs are there now and i think more importantly i don't really give a shit <laughs> I guess because I love being in LA and it's just like, all right, New York, you know, do your thing, you know. Um, but uh, I kind of think like, does does LA have those kinds of spaces? I know there's uh, I know there's the 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 joint that's in uh, Highland Park that I think is a Zebulon in Highland Park. Um, yeah, they um they uh, I think it's the same owners, in fact. Mm. You know, I'm not 100% on that. I should I should look into that. But yeah, there's there's that place. 
Um, there, you know, there's like some creative venues in New York. I mean, in, in LA that are, yeah. um, no, for sort, sure. of, sort of in the spirit of, and, and I think that's a newer thing from what, from what I've been told. Um, yeah. You know, cause I haven't been here that long, but I know that like I was hearing about like blue whale, um, and I was hearing yeah. about like, like ETA, there's that place that's, that's been, the place I was trying to think of ETA. I love blue whale. Blue whale is one of my favorite jazz clubs in the country because they really, treat the musicians well and like it's it's unlike most places it's it's clean you know what i mean like it, it's it's a good hang i always yeah. have a fun time when i go down there yeah um, it's it's really good the bathroom is definitely far from like where people play which is nice <laughs> that's a good observation yes it is it's <laughs> in another section of the building far in the uh the depths of the building and there's good food you know yeah yeah, there's all that stuff that's like, uh, like uh, little Tokyo is not far from there. And no, it's right stuff. there. Yeah, man, you're right there. Uh, so it's cool. Like New York doesn't, ha you know, like I don't know. I we don't need to get into a New York versus LA thing, but it's just like it's a trip to see LA slowly turn into this culturally aware. You know, it, I mean, it always kind of has been, but like in little pockets based on cultures, but. It's nice to see an art scene that isn't just like, you know, it's that spreads to jazz and, and has other things going on. I mean, there's always been a little something here, but it seems to be way more now that a lot of folks have moved from different parts of the country here um, in the last 10, 12 years to, to, to demand and create that kind of community. It's been really cool, um, you know. Totally. I, I'm glad that i made the move out here and it's definitely been interesting i mean i guess the thing i think about now in the wake of what's happening with with the pandemic is just you know how how would a city like new york which is sort of based around showing your face and going out and uh it being relatively easy to go out yeah like i wonder what that's going to do to all that because i feel like so much of so much of our thing is like based or so much of like the live music thing is based around um going out to clubs and like you can walk there and, and it's all like being in the presence of folks whereas like here you know people are more spaced out you drive you're a little bit more isolated as far as how you get there and then you show up and then you can go i mean it's just a different different type of uh lifestyle in that way very much so. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I think that what's wild is in the wake of this is anybody who's playing live music doesn't have to worry about playing live music for a little while. Um, and I think that it's this is going to create, you know, because humans, like them or not, really do adapt well to things. Um, there will be little mini sea changes, you know, occurring in so many different facets of our life. You know, live music, I mean, I can't imagine the next time people are going to be able to get together, you know, two, three, four hundred, fifty, whatever, and go see live music. So what does that become? And and what is, you know, I feel bad for younger musicians right now who basically are at a point in their development where, you know, some of the most important parts of being a musician are playing with other musicians and, and building a community and like all of that's on hold for a while. Um, 
and you just got to think like, well, what are the upsides of that? Like, where where does like really wild creative shit happen as a result of hey we can't play together as an ensemble right now like what do we do and it's not just like oh man we use samples and you know we trade things back and forth via email like it has to be something beyond you know because there's been plenty of that stuff going on you know it's funny you think of music in a lot of ways musicians and because of computers and because of technology you know there's been sort of social distancing as musicians for a long fucking time you know uh, too much of it but now it's kind of forced so you wonder well how do how do musicians adapt you know i i was talking earlier today uh as i do most days to uh to charlie hunter and like he's been making all these instagram live you know videos where you know you guys are playing together you know via email because you know but they're playing together it's like well here's a four minute thing i did and you know i saw this thing today it was like a drummer in ohio and doug womble in new york and charlie and it's just a trio grooving and yeah and it's really cool i mean charlie's doing like 20 of those a day you know just like fiending to and figuring out ways to play and and be connected i think it's really cool but but I think if you're in school right now and school's canceled, like I feel for those guys. I feel for for younger musicians, like you know, figuring like, oh man, I feel like I was just starting to get this shit together. Um, you know, I, I wonder what they if they do similar stuff and they just keep pushing forward. I mean, you know, uh, we didn't have the internet in the 1580s and guys learned how to play the loop. You know, it's like it it's it all it's it'll all work out. It's just the the live aspect, you know, so important, you know, that that listening and communicating uh, portion of playing music, you know, it, it's just done by doing it over and over and over and over again in the presence of multiple other musicians, you know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I I don't know how I feel about the non-live element being a long-term thing, but I think. I think we're not going to see it for a long period of time. Um, I agree. I like agree. I, you know, but I don't know that, I don't know that people are going to like, like I'm seeing, you know, like I did something last week that was sort of like that, where like uh, my friend Isamu McGregor, he's this really great piano player. He has this thing called stuck at home records. So it's all these different people like kind of making tracks where like one person starts it, then another person grabs it, and they're like short; they're like a minute long. Yeah, and and it's it's fun, but I don't particularly feel like I would want to partake in that stuff if it wasn't the only thing there was to do. And and I right. think like I don't feel like it's a new art form that's going to be born of writing stuff like that. I think it's part of it is just to kind of pacify people who are feeling anxious about not being able to play. Um, there could be art in it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I guess we'll know when we're out of it. What, yeah. What we'll, kind of we'll stuff see what happens. And also what'll be interesting, you know, because I don't know how much, you know, about pop music production and, and pop music songwriting, but like, you know, songwriting is in a specific state right now where like, that's the norm. You know, you might write a song with eight other people for a recording artist, you know, signed to a major label, 
and and the norm has been for the last couple of years it's just like we'll pass it on to this person and then this person has it and then these two managers argue about what percentage of the rights to this song these people own like that's just been ingrained in pop music for 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 quite a while actually so it's interesting seeing it work into more you know uh i guess like what would you call it like independent music producers and just other styles of music you know it's yeah. going to have an effect you know there are going to be all these interesting effects of like you know like i'm a huge sports fan and there are going to be athletes that don't play their sport for a certain amount of time and when they come back it's going to be it's going to be kind of weird you know like in like the nba it's going to be rusty like, it's going to be right. really rusty. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to see basketball and be like, is this the 1940s? You know, like, I don't think it's going to be that bad. But I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, watching watching records get made over the course of the next little while is going to be a trip because I think it's going to be a lot of this, like, now you do something. Now I'll do something. Now you do something. Like, there's going to be all this tinkering by people on people's records. It's going to be interesting, you know. Um, but there's a lot of that's that's already been like you know you, you we make records like i'm always sending something out to someone say hey play on this send it back to me like yeah you know but i think the mindset of doing that coupled with oh by the way this is how we make records now it's like you don't have the option like hey man just come over you know just come and play on this thing i don't want anyone near my i will spray any trombone well I think I would spray any trombone player in the face with Clorox before this, but no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but I, but yeah, it's just there are all these ways that I think you hit on a nice point. It's like you know, it's like it's fun to take part in that kind of stuff, but it's like you know, I don't I don't see when there's going to be the live thing, and and for me, the live thing is like it's so vital. You know, I, I hate the pop thing where it's like. Ariana Grande has 11 people that wrote the song, you know, and and the, and the most fucked up part of it is that there are 11 songwriters, but two of them might be like, you know, Gershwin and, you know, Sammy Khan, you know, what I mean, like something that someone else wrote 60 years ago, and then they're yeah. just like putting a hi-hat pattern on top of it. And you know. <laughs> no, right. seriously, I, I, I was having a conversation with some songwriters and the, and they were joking they said oh man we worked on a track with this guy and he tried to he tried to get publishing because he programmed the hi-hats <laughs> and i just i fell out i was like you've got to be fucking kidding me like that's where we are like i worked with a band where the there was a drummer and and the, and he had played on a really big hit record um and 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 because he had played on a big hit record when he came to do a session for some buddies of his he asked for publishing and i was just like you leave you're getting paid to play drums you're not writing anything right now like you've got to be out of your mind but that's where this is kind of landed in a lot of ways you know um it's weird there's not as much money to be made so people have to say like oh i'll give you songwriting credit you know and it's like dude the hi-hats are not songwriting that's insane you know 
It but, sounds uh, like sounds like a bunch of people trying to fit into a life raft, you know. And it's, it's like it, totally, and that life raft is trying to figure out a way to make a living in this hustle without like alienating each other and hating everyone. So part of it, I get. You need to find ways to make money. There's yeah. just also an absurdity to it when you're thinking to yourself, man. I remember when I just like gave a drummer five hundred bucks for playing on a tune, and it was like they were really happy and didn't ask for publishing. You know, end of story. You know, <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't happen anymore. I, 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 I suppose Ariana Grande doesn't pay the hi hat guy two grand for playing on a record that's going to make her fifteen million dollars. That's okay. That seems nice. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, I don't mean this from like a like from any kind of a genre standpoint, but it's weird when a song has less chords than it does writers. You know. Oh. That, that's such a good observation it's so it's so common you know and, and there are some great tracks where you're like 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 i'll i will say this like bruno mars always has like nine guys but it's because mm -hmm. he has a core group of guys like in a band and he's like that's my those are my guys they all get i'm just giving them all a piece because he knows he's making crazy crazy tons of money and they all like the piano player the bass player the, the guitar player the keyboard you know they're all getting a piece i look at that differently and, mm -hmm. and maybe i'm romanticizing that maybe that's not how that crew works but from the outside looking in it's kind of the way i look at it that's how i perceive it but but when i look at the you know the rihanna's and the ariana grande's like i know there's like someone sitting there and going like god damn it i wrote four words in that verse and I deserve 2.6%, you know? And and it <laughs> yep. just drives me up two fucking walls, you know? It, you're right. More more writers than chords. Um, very typical Steve Jenkins brilliant observation, I might add. You are yep. the dude that does that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to, uh, trying to bring levity to this yeah. weird you know because this is such an existential threat or not it's yeah. not even a threat man well this is no for, no no for yeah, everybody i know we're we're kind of we're uh, you know i don't want to say that we're fucked but we're in the in a temporary sense for another year plus i mean yeah you know the, the and, and, yeah you're right you're it's, right it's a weird it's a weird time so i'm trying to you know i know i'm sort of trying to figure out what i'm going to do besides like what i'm already doing that yeah. doesn't involve live work and stuff and yeah yeah it's an interesting interesting it's, thing it, man it's kind of wild when you think about you know I, I had this thought that like it would be wild if a lot of this was actually a meritocracy and like now that all of this shit has been pulled out from everyone it's like i'm sitting here and i'm a film composer primarily and i know right now you know hans zimmer isn't any busier than me at a certain point. I know right. right now that, you know, there are some major, major heavyweights where, you know, it's like, hey, man, like I'm friends with some, not Hans, but I'm just saying like everyone is in the same boat, looking right. at the same set of circumstances, looking at the same social distancing, looking at the same cratered production work and like shut, shut down, you know, production schedules. And, like, in a perfect world, I'd like this shit to start back up, and I'd like it to be like, wait a minute, 
maybe we don't need to hire the same six guys to do every film, you know, in Hollywood. Like maybe, maybe, maybe we will revisit this. And like, there's a lot of people out there that need work doing this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. I'm just saying like, <laughs> everyone is going to be starting back up yeah. and, 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 and doing their hustle and like trying to, trying to get work. You know, it was funny, like two weeks ago, a, a composer I know was trying to roll to me like they were super busy and I just started laughing and he was like, what are you laughing about? And I'm like, you're full of shit. You're, pulling, <laughs> you're totally pulling like that LA thing on me right now. And I'm like, listen, man, I had two films getting ready to start. They, they, may, not, they, may, not, they may never even get made because of the way that films get financed and the way they get set up for production like there are windows and there's money that gets spent and then sometimes they just go like nope we're we're going to the next set of stories to 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 get into production and this one we the window on this is closing and that's just how it works so you know maybe not for a star wars film or maybe not you know certain things they'll you know they'll put these things on pause but there's plenty of middle class films that are in the pipeline where it's like yeah this doesn't get made sorry it just doesn't get made. Um, and it's a trip. Like, I, I think about this, and I can tell who I really respect and dig when I talk to certain friends of mine that are musicians, and they're like, hey, man, I'm sitting at, like, I, I, the other week, I was at home, and I was like, you know what? I don't really know how to play piano that well. I want to learn some voicings and some chords. And I learned how to play, like, a very basic version of blue and green, like, with the Bill Evans voicings. And I was like, oh, my God! I feel like I'm back in school. This is the shit. Like, why didn't I learn this 26 years ago? Um, because you don't have work. Anyone who says they have work right now needs a lava enema. Like, no one has work. <laughs> They're yeah. just full of shit. And that's the thing. The difference between L.A. and New York is, like, anyone I know in New York would just be like, I don't have any fucking work. But in L.A., it would just be like, yeah, man, I just got off the phone with Ryan Seacrest. We're developing a new series. It's like, you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, that bullshit still persists in L.A. And it's kind of adorable, you know, in a way. But I also love calling someone on it at the same time, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if, if anyone's going to try to keep up appearances, it would be out here. But it's like... I don't know, dude. It's like, you're, you know you're going to see that motherfucker in line at Trader Joe's like everybody else. Oh, six that's feet apart. so funny. And literally trying to take like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got four bags of the peanut butter pretzels. Like, right. it's, two, it's two per customer, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> what are you, how dare you? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Pandem pandemic shaming, you know? Right. Um, I mean, the... That dude's not, he's not getting like the prime, like the prime, uh, soft toilet paper. He's getting like the Ralph's, you know, <laughs> he's prem isn't a word, but he's getting the, he's getting the preem toilet paper. Yeah. As far as hey man, ooh, feel the preem. Right. Yeah. It's getting like, like yeah. it's a third of a ply. It's not even a full ply. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I just think it's hysterical. You know, it's just like. I don't even know why, how I got to thinking about this. I just, I'm so cynical about people being full of shit, you know, and it's, we're all full of shit in our own way. I'm not trying to say like, I'm some sort of fucking arb arbiter, but, but it no. does crack me up. Like, you know, you're full of shit 
like in the middle of a pandemic if you're trying to be like you know i just got off the phone with disney and, I, you know, and, and i'm doing you know uh i'm doing how to train your dragon seven you know it's like or whatever it's like really yeah man fuck yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's 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 funny, man, because it's like I just think that uh, I mean I think the other thing that's that's really maybe an interesting component to all this too is like some of the ideals that I think I don't know if this is really kind of indigenous to America, but yeah, so many put so many people put their identity behind how busy they are, or what they do, and and you hear that when people sometimes. You know, if you ask them like how they're doing, and then they tell you what they're doing, you know, oh, I hate not- that. I always say, I, 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 that's so funny you bring that up. I always say like, yeah, man, I, I asked you how you're doing, um, not what you're doing, and and I don't do it as much now because believe it or not, I'm actually not as angry now as I was when I was younger. But yeah. I hate that. It's like I literally want one one time. <laughs> this made me a buddy of mine. It's like actually really turned into a gigantic record producer but he did that to me and at the end of like a four minute how are you doing but he was telling me what he was doing sort of answer he said well what are you working on like looking for the competition of it and i literally the only thing i could think of saying is like yeah man i've been in talks with jesus about coming back and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the I'm going to produce Jesus's solo record. Everyone has been waiting for a couple thousand years for Jesus Christ to make an album. And I'm, I'm doing it. I'm writing the record with him and, and we're, you know, we're getting ready to go in. Um, so yeah, I'm producing Jesus. Like, I didn't know what to say after like four minutes of me, 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 me. I'm working with John Lennon. I'm like, he's dead. You're not working with John Lennon. I just was like, what, what tops Jesus? Like if you're, if you're, producing jesus's record it's like no one can top that you know it's just like man i shut up you know he just looked at me like what are you talking about and i was just like dude i'm not (laughs) i'm not producing jesus but like understand the last four minutes of our conversation you literally dropped more names than like leaflets were dropped during like you know uh i don't know like they used to drop leaflets over cities during world war ii to like spread propaganda <laughs> you know i'm just like oh man shut up you know yeah. but uh yeah it's a thing and I, and I think it is actually you you said i don't know if it's an american thing it is an american thing i mean we are in the midst of the height of that experience with trump we are in the midst right. of the height of that me first me 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 dude i was walking down the street in my neighborhood the other day and this 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 couple like had their garage open and i saw that they had my you know my wife was just like my wife colette was just like aghast because they had like a four-year supply of paper towels and you know and like and dry goods and like it was like they had like a literally like a target's supply uh you know like the back stock area worth of stuff and i just was like I know these people, these are just like me first, selfish, like, you know, it's just horrible. Like, I think we're surrounded by that in this culture. And I think we've, in the last, you know, especially since Trump was elected, it's like, that's almost like applauded in a weird way. Like all this shit that was kind of quiet is now really loud and really present. And I think, and this might be naive, 
the upside of it being so loud and, and obnoxious and present is I think there are a lot of people that are now really sick of it and really disgusted by it. And you're seeing this in elections that are being held. I, I don't want to get too political, but like, you know, the other day, I think it was yesterday, the, the results from Wisconsin came in and like, you know, this this Supreme Court justice, state Supreme Court justice, you know, she won because Trump was all supporting this guy that was like a pig that was waiting to like, you know, make it legal to sell babies, you know, like a horrible human being. And like, even in a in a very, very compromised election, like the guy got his ass kicked in the election in a state that is can be really conservative. So there's pushback. People are getting sick of people being pigs. Yeah, it's it's weird to see, too, man, because it's like um, just the mentality of people kind of looking out for number one. And uh, to the extent where where it's like, OK, why do you need? this much whatever you know um i don't know it's 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 really it's really been kind of a um i don't even know how what, what to say about it it's just been like strange to see the way people have been like shopping for food and stuff and just uh like the way people have kind of been hoarding certain things and you know there hasn't yeah. really been there hasn't really been a like a constrained food supply um it, like like by and large i know now they're they're kind of noticing like i know there was like a meat plant that shut down because they got employees that have COVID. yeah that, that was actually a pork processing plant called smithfield it's in one of the dakotas it's the biggest pork processing plant in the world i don't follow this shit close enough anyway go yeah. on well i guess my point is, is like i mean so that's a legit thing like if a place can't produce because they don't have enough healthy people to work in the working the lines and stuff but i mean prior to that it's like dude i never thought i would see a run on ramen noodles you know right right i just never thought that the apocalypse would be fueled by sodium and like toilet paper just never saw it coming um so yeah i dude i agree and and the (laughs) wild the wild part about that is is like the 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 toilet paper thing is so ridiculous because it's so it is so low on the list of vital things like wash your ass man you know what i mean like honestly it's like (laughs) you know what i mean like it's just like okay i mean i would think people would be more worried about like you know broccoli and tomatoes and you know vet fruit and vegetables and you know a whole bunch of other shit before their actual shit it just shows you how full of shit people are you know right <laughs> literally and figuratively yeah. yes exactly and 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 what's nuts even more is like you know um it's 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 kind of like this mr burns from the simpsons mindset that's so pervasive it's like you know this whole i'm the richest man in the world and and i give it all up for just a little bit more it's that mindset. It's one of it's my favorite line from The Simpsons ever. They're all, all my favorite stuff in The Simpsons are for some reason are always connected to Mr. Burns. It's just <laughs> such a perfect snapshot of the of the American experience, you know, like the human condition in this culture as a result of capitalism and greed and narcissism and just bullshit. And it's 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 wild to watch because it's also really fucking funny if you have the right mindset for it you know someone that has 300 rolls of paper towels is like mentally ill 
like that's mental illness and 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 unfortunately i'm pretty dark like i'm like you're sick you're a sick <laughs> motherfucker like that's just like i don't know how to look at that any way other than like wow you're broken um yeah you know that's america yeah that is america well let's let's pivot what have you been yeah. doing to uh like past the time you know like past few weeks anyway like do you have you been picking up bass at all or you you know when you feel inspired i know you're mentioning like you're working on piano stuff but yeah. how does that work with you now man i mean because i know you kind of made the move to uh do more composition over the past like you know what like 15 years or something but you yeah know, uh, my relationship to the bass is weird because it's like i don't view it as like it's so weird i haven't been picking up the bass and practicing at all during this period like i view the bass for me as something that i use if i'm writing a specific way and i force myself to dig in and get my technique better because of something i've written and i have something in my head and i'm like man you got to shed and get your chops back to be able to do this or you'll sound horrible but then I'll go like a bunch of time without, <laughs> without playing again because I really, it's funny, my instrument really isn't ultimately the bass. My instrument is just like writing. And I know that sounds fucking strange, but. No, not at all. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I, I honestly, I've been practicing piano, which is really difficult for me. Like, I have a, a almost like a. Um, <sighs> um, like I can't do two things at once kind of thing with the piano, like playing with left and right and really connecting the dots and doing voice leading. And, you know, so I've been, I've been like, you know what, it's time to get better at that. Uh, but, but beyond all of that, honestly, during this, I've been listening to a lot of music, just crazy amounts of like, discovering records that i've been looking at in my record collection for years that i realized i don't really know that well like and and also digging into some of the work of my father um you know who produced records for like over 40 years and 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 realizing like man i, I should know these records more i should i should know more about why he did what he did and how he got these records made so i've been I, you know, slowly reorganizing my, my record collection that I have in the studio here that I built and, mm -hmm. you know, in the garage. And and I'll, like, find a random Yusef Latif record and just put it on and listen to it, like, three, four times in a row and just marvel at, like, holy shit, I just didn't know how great this was. You know what I mean? Or uh, the first couple days of... of um, that's funny. The first couple days of like lockdown or whatever, you know, we're not really quarantined, but you know, just being in the house, there were like five Cannonball Adderley records that I just had. Like every day, I would listen to uh, two or three records, and then I just kept listening to them. Like his Fiddler on the Roof record, mm -hmm. his Nippon Soul, which is live in Japan with Yousef and 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 Joe Zavinol, like that group with Sam Jones and Louis Hayes, like classic. Uh, uh, and then I'm trying to think like something else, although I feel like something else I've listened to like so much, I know it like the back of my hand, but it's weird. Like 
I listen to all these records, and they're mostly jazz records, and that's what I really, 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 really love. And yet, I can't really play jazz. I'm not really like a jazz musician. I'm just like, I play music. Like, I write these scores, and sometimes there are elements from those records that, that pop into what I'm writing. But I don't know. I just listen to them because I just fucking love them. And there's some, you know, there's something that I get in terms of inspiration from them. And I could end up using them to listen to, and then I write a film score, and the film score is dark as fuck and sounds like sound design. It has nothing, you would never know that I spent like three weeks listening to Canon. You know what I mean? Wow. Um, I, and I've always been that way. I don't know about you. Like, like, I have these records in my life that are so, like, vital. And, and some of them, like, one of them's Peter Gabriel's So, and it's like, it's such a fucking brilliant record that I yeah, just I love listen, that record. And I just listen to it to just to get my head thinking. Like it doesn't even matter if like I could <laughs> I could have to write like you know like you know house music in, infused with calypso and I would listen to so and it just gets you in a space where you're like thinking and solving creative problems. You know what I mean? Like um and I listen to Peter Gabriel's film scores, you know, like last, uh, not last temptation of Christ. I'm sorry. The, the, um, Oh, what is that? It is the last, last. Did yeah. That was his, that was oh his. Oh my God. Yeah. The other one was the passion of the Christ. The passion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny cause he has a record called passion. Um, yeah. Uh, that record is called passion. The last temptation of Christ, which is so random. It, it ends up conflating the two in a weird way, but that album is stunning. Um, you know, you just listen to these things and it's like, and, and it's funny. I talk about this with older musicians, like mentors of mine. And, and I'll just be like, you know, you know, I, I you and I talk about this a lot. Like, and I don't like talking. It's like, Oh, now Adam's going to mention Marcus Miller. It's like fucking boring, but you know, no, no, it's not boring. Well, I'm just, yeah, it's yeah. such a, between Hal Wilner and Marcus and my old man, like those are the three. I was fine. I was texting with Marcus the other day and I was like, I'm not kidding, man. You better fucking bubble wrap yourself because I lost my old man and I lost Hal and you can use a straw to breathe. But like, you better stay around because, <laughs> you know, I'm not fucking. And he just, you know, he's writing back like, you know, ha whatever. Like, but, you know, I spent all this time around him and you could listen to my work and never know that I spent two minutes with him, except maybe my last record where I actually played bass, you know, and it's like, OK, you're kind of digging in and doing some slapping and whatever. But. I think that there are so many important things about listening to music and then having that music maybe not even have to do with what you do creatively. It's just what it what it does to make you just be inspired. You know what I mean? Yeah, do you yeah. have record do you have records like that where you're like, I listen to this but like then I write my stuff and it they're, they're totally disconnected. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. I guess they're just like musical goalposts. Um, like the Peter Gabriel record, I, I remember how old I was when so came out and I, that's a record that I have all the reverence in the world for. And I know very little about it, you know, oh, like I don't, you know wow. what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know, like, I know kind of who's playing on it, but I don't know that I don't know any stories about it. Like, it's one of those, I definitely have, have records, um, that, that have like really profound, you know, uh, they have a really profound influence on what I do. And, and I know very little about 
what what made them what they are um, right like so for me like a really big thing that made me want to get into music as a kid was um purple rain but the oh, part yeah but the part that really killed me was the end of the song purple rain with the strings which i think was claire fisher you know and I, I i don't think i don't know if prince orchestrated them or not but at the very end of the song there's like this sort of cadence with like strings and i think claire fisher did that and i just remember feeling like man this is like that was like a goosebump moment for me with music you know and i just oh, it's, it's stunning uh you know absolutely stunning i think it's claire fisher but i'm actually looking it up right now because i know that Claire Fisher worked on the next record, so it would make sense if if he if he did those. Yeah, I, I don't. It's so weird, you know. You look the stuff up. It's like, oh, I've got a Wikipedia, and it's like there aren't always the answers. You know what I mean? Like, um, but the, but that all of that aside, stunning, like such a stunning work of music, just yeah. an absolutely beautiful, and that and that, yeah. That end piece is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's so. There's a couple records like that. Like uh, I'm trying to think what else um, sort of like occupies that space. I mean, you know, we talked about like Seals records, like the first two. I thought those, like the the Trevor Horn stuff, like that. That shit's pretty amazing. It's great. It's weird as I get older and I listen to it. I it doesn't move me as much. Um, they're 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 great. But there, there, there's limitations in them based on the technology. Sometimes yeah. for me, and I know maybe I sound like an asshole, but no. like, like Trevor Horn did. Um, oh, it's a great story. You want to hear a really cool story about a Trevor Horn record, like random one? Um, yeah, sure. So he produced. So I was signed to uh, a label called Palm Pictures, and it was owned by um, Chris Blackwell, and Chris Blackwell had owned. Uh, Island Records, and he's the guy that's known as like, you know, he owned the label, and they and they broke U two, and they broke Bob Marley. Like he he owned all the Bob Marley stuff, and just a legendary record man, you know, not a producer, but a record label owner. And he had these artists that he would fall in love with, and one of them was Grace Jones, and he really loved the way that Trevor Horn produced these records. And according to Chris, who told me this story, and I fell out when he told me this story, is that Trevor Horn, you know, agrees to produce Grace Jones, who, who by the way, is really difficult, really challenging artist. And he does that record, Island Life, with that song, Pull Up to the Bumper, which is just like legend. It's such a great track. But when he comes in to, you know, he says, I want to play the record for you, Chris, you know, and he, Chris gave him like a quarter of a million dollars and he comes in and he plays him. He goes, well, let's hear the record. And he plays pull up to the bumper and the song ends. And Chris goes, that's genius. This is absolutely magnificent. It's one of the best things I've ever heard. And Trevor says, Good, because I need another quarter of a million dollars, because so far that's the record. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, that's what, and, and, and absolutely, 
absolutely like you know if you listen to like the uh uh what is it uh frankie goes to hollywood record that he made it really is only four or five songs and they're reprised with like different breakdowns and different versions and like you know i mean trevor horn's a genius but like i went back and i listened to the first seal record and parts of it are like oh man you know it's like some of the synth programming is like it's spectacular but the sounds are dated like there's dated crispy 80s ssl technical things that i'm like oh this doesn't move me the same way yeah it's like so for me which is made a a couple years before the first seal record yeah i mean that record it will never sound amazing but there's something about trevor horn's ornate production style where it's like it's so stylized that i'm like all right i it's kind of sounding a little cheesy and that's mm-hmm. horrible like i don't you know he's brilliant like i you know maybe that's like how some people feel about phil specter records like they're so big it's so wall of sound like you know it's like all right it's so stylized but right but my thing with the seal records is i always just wanted him to make like i really wish that he just dug deeper and deeper and deeper into the electronic music thing and he went in the opposite direction you know he started making like seal sings the motown songbook you know it was like you know what i mean and i was like man i want seal to work with massive attack you know what i mean i want seal to work with portishead like i wanted him to make dig and really explore and it just seemed like he, he you know he married the most beautiful model in the world and was just like you know let me sing uh you know cover tunes it was unbelievable what happened with his careers if you ask me um yeah i stopped i didn't really follow him after a certain point but um, yeah me yeah too. i you know so i like those records i like the tears for fears records like yeah uh, those like are the, great yeah like songs from the big chair and in the seas of love that was a cool record um That's yeah awesome. i don't know man there's there's a couple things that don't really inherently seem that evident in my musical dna and yet they're you know that that's that's stuff i always like pull up you know um i think that's that's sort of the weird uh the weird dichotomy about music you know like yeah well you know know, my my buddy and hal and i you know charlie and i charlie hunter and i used to have that podcast compared to what and one of the episodes you know which we spoke with my buddy hal who, who we were talking about earlier who passed away last week and he said something that was interesting he said you know those records that you listened to when you were like 14 15 16 no matter what comes after that those are the ones that like you always really remember and the ones that really really kind of are deep down in the dna and i think of what was coming out when i was 14 15 and 16 and it wasn't seal because that was a little later i was like 19 or 18 but um you know for me it was so and for me it was like you know you too you know like unforgettable fire and yeah. and, and you know and then like you know also tutu you know the miles record which which you know i don't listen to that often now but but like there's just things you i know that you steve can sing every part of every instrument on the records you were talking about like you know those records inside out yeah, yeah. They're, they're in you yeah i love that that's my i love that you know 
that's that's the part where like even if that stuff doesn't come out in what you're creating or what is inspiring you to to work on what you're working on now it's so great to be able to go back to certain things and you almost feel like you're a kid again when you listen to them because that's how important they were to you yeah um, that's a, that's how the rush stuff was also um oh yeah yeah i yeah, mean yeah. that i mean that was that was definitely an interesting interesting thing to see how many people were affected by them even people who you would have never thought would have listened to that stuff you know because oh, of man who, who they play with. Yeah, i love great. them man i fucking loved rush and and i think it's interesting your age also determines what like sort of your your intro into rush may have been and 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 how it moved you it's like i went to see them on the power windows tour and that okay. was that wasn't the first record of theirs that I bought, but it was the record of theirs where I knew I could go see them. And sure. I bo- I bonded with that experience. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, you know, there's something about like that record where it's like, it's my favorite Rush record, but it shouldn't maybe be my favorite Rush record. You know what I mean? Like, there are, there are ones before it that other fans are just like, no, dude, like, are you crazy? You got to listen to Signals or you got to, you know, but yeah. like, you know, how old are you? And what year is it? There might be a different Rush record that was your intro to them. You know what I mean? Like, not just like, hey, man, I just heard YYZ and I was hooked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was, that, yeah. wasn't, that wasn't it for me. Yeah. Power Windows was actually a really strong record, though, man. I mean, that's. Oh, that's, I agree. I yeah. mean, it, was, it had great songs on it and the playing was good. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know too many bands that were able to change like they did um and and kind of be consistently good for a really long time you know there aren't any there i really think that they're they're they are an outlier in a lot of ways um i'm a gigantic u2 fan i mean and i've, I've been lucky enough to actually work with them and you know i i it's been years but like you know i know some of them and they're nice and you know and i love their work but like they're nowhere near you know what i mean like when they miss man they, they miss pretty hard you know rush never seemed to miss i they never made a record where i was like this is a piece of shit you know what i mean <laughs> like not that i would say that about any u2 records but i would say like i don't like seven of these songs like what the f- who you know who made these choices um but they are really you know and 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 it's unfortunate because it's it really is finished but like they had a run where man if they were a sports team they won like 14 titles they really fucking always did a good job they always brought it yeah Um, absolutely you know and 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 i think they know that and they're so comfortable about that that they're even fucking cooler for it like they just getty seems like he's someone like i i want to meet getty lee at some point so badly and and i want to talk to him about nothing that rush fans want to talk to him about you know what i mean like like baseball or something what's that no not at all although he's probably is like he might be into baseball but like no i want to talk to him about like growing up the 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 son of holocaust survivors right right my my mentor was raised by like an auschwitz survivor and like the the, it, it 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 did forge some shit in him you know that 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 was really kind of special and i and i know he's a guy that probably has a lot of you know empathy and 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 he's a soulful guy like i think i'd be buddies with him 
you know, pretty yeah. easily. Not not to say like, oh, I'm the coolest fucking guy on the planet. And of course, he wants to hang out with me. But he seems like a no bullshit, pretty straightforward guy. And of course, I want to talk to him about Fender Jazz basses because I love that he's addicted to them. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And I, and I wish he was addicted to them at certain parts of the Rush career earlier on because I think it would have helped the band <laughs> a little bit sonically, you know? Um, but yeah. that's just me. That's just me. But um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, you know, you just know when someone's cool. Like they say, don't meet your idols. And I'm like, fuck that. I want to meet him. I know. Yeah. He's I know that's, he's cool. That's one dude I definitely want to meet. But I, I think just the fact that those guys, I mean, just the fact that they, um, just the fact that like nobody even knew that Neil Peart was Neil Peart was sick for like three years, and yeah. they didn't even let that news come out that he had passed for a few days. I feel like that says a lot about those guys and how they felt about each other. Like they didn't want to, yeah, they didn't want they didn't want it to get out before they had time to kind of deal with it themselves, and you know, they, they had like a real real reverence yeah. for one another. That's that's family. That's real love. And that's and that's trust, too, I think. You know, uh, they're really, 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 like, unlike most, you know, bands seem to really kind of, even if they weren't on the same page, they were on the same page. Like, if that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. I was, I was floored that, like, it took them like three, four days to let that be known. Like I, I had so much respect for that, you know, in this fucking culture of like, you know, you're, you're learning about these people dying from TMZ sometimes before their family is learning about it. You know, yeah. that, that disgusting culture of like, Oh, guess who died? You know, and it's fuck you, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, well, last question. Yeah. Because we already talked a little bit about, about like music and stuff you listen to. Um, yeah. I actually got two two questions. Um, okay. One, do you think do you think musicians or artists have any kind of responsibility when we're in a period like this? Obviously, it's unprecedented for everyone we know, even like folks that are older. You know, like uh, first time we've ever faced something like this. Like, do you think survival is more important than making like the the, you know, the masterpiece that's going to live on forever. Um, like, what do you think about that? I mean, I think if you're really truly an artist and a musician that makes music, you're just going to make it no matter what. You know, I always think of that movie. Do you remember that movie, The Piano? Yeah. Um, with, uh, was it Adrian Brody? It's like, you know what? Sometimes you're just going to be a musician. You're going to be a musician. I don't really give a shit when your magnum opus was made. You know, musicians... Yeah don't necessarily owe anybody anything right now but what i'm seeing especially through things like instagram live and facebook well i don't see it on face i'm not on facebook but i hear about facebook live and youtube and all these things i think it's great like i'll use charlie as an example it's like people that are so used to playing live and communicating and connecting with uh audiences live are just like i'm playing if you want to, you want to listen to it. You want to come and hear it, and this makes you happy. Come on down. You know, like, you know, listen to me. And I love that right now. Like, remember a couple weekends ago when D Nice was doing those DJ sets? Oh uh, yeah. yeah. And I think he still is. But there was something about like the very first weekend, and all of a sudden you're like, there's a hundred and thirty-five thousand people 
listening to a DJ set right now. And by the way, I don't give a shit about DJs. I don't go to clubs. I'm not an aficionado on, you know, like sets and, and selection. I just love that all these people that I love were really, really excited about that. And they loved watching it and texting each other and saying, hey, did you see, you know, uh, uh, Joe Biden was was there and, and he said he gave a shout out to Joe Biden, you know, just random shit. It really was beautiful. And it was like indicative of like how this is a community. And there was no pretension about it at a certain point. You know, I think that kind of sums up, you know, w w during a period like this, I just love when people just come correct and just bring it from their you know, just, you want to listen to some music? I got some music for you to hear. I love that. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I think it's, I think it's important, man. And I, and I love that I'm seeing more and more people do it. And I think, you know, you're going to reach a point when you, when you launch Instagram and you're just going to be like, all right, I, there's like 11 of these. I don't even, I don't want to hear <laughs> because <laughs> everybody's going like, hey I, you know come on i'll give you my saxophone master class it's like no i you know i get it thank you i, I think it's great <laughs> that you're sharing man you know it doesn't mean i have to you know love everything you know but i do love charlie hunter man i love when he just he starts playing some shit people fucking go nuts they love it um yeah well really cool. that guy rules man charlie rules yes, um you do. yes you do what um okay last question Okay. So we talked about some music stuff you've been listening to. Any any uh, shows or movies you recommend that people might not have seen? Uh, yeah, for this time period? I I've been going nuts. Um, I, last night my wife and I watched that show on Netflix called Unorthodox. I don't know if you know about it. Um, it's a, a it's a story of a, a Orthodox woman who like escapes uh like a, a a community in Williamsburg and like you know leaves this very sort of like you know, a life that she doesn't want to lead. I won't say anything else because it's one of those things I can ruin it and like, you know. Two. Okay, yeah, yeah. But Unorthodox is really awesome. Right. Uh, it's not awesome. It's actually really sad. Um, That's what I heard. I've heard it's sad. I've heard it's sad. And it's, you know. I like it. It's, it's a beautiful story. And I love that I don't know any of the cast members and it's like a lot of Israeli and European actors. So I, 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 I like you know watching shows where it's not stars it's like people showing you that other people can act too like for example there's an amazing show that i i watched on netflix called giri haji and it is a joint production between uh england and japan and it's a thriller it's like a crime thriller about organized crime in tokyo and london and and how this issue comes up i won't say any more but um it's great it's just, it's fucking great. It's like, you, I, I never see shows from Japan where like Tokyo is shown as a character and you really get to see the city. It's usually always, there's just not Japanese television that's broadcast in the States that's like, you know, th this is like Breaking Bad level, deep, great writing, you know? So I watched that. Wow. Um, I loved that show. Um, and then I had never... And you and I probably texted about this a bunch, but I had never watched Peaky Blinders. And my God, am I glad I didn't watch it because I got to watch every, all five seasons in a row every night. Um, and Peaky Blinders is tremendous. I never Such checked it out. Dude, it is 
it's a masterpiece. I love that show. Um, and, and you might want to get really stoned and watch it because like being slowed down I, I'm, and maybe I'm giving something away. I, I wasn't stoned when I watched it, but I have, I was, however, I have really bad chronic pain issues. And, and at night I will take like Tylenol with codeine to help me with, with, to manage the pain and Peaky Blinders mixed with Tylenol with codeine is a recipe for, I just, it was the, it was the best. I don't take this stuff anymore. And I've seen all the Peaky Blinders episodes. So I'm all out of codeine. I'm not a junkie, but, I, but man, they were a good cut. It was like, you know how they do wine pairings. That was a codeine pairing, man. It was the shit. Um, and I'm happy to say I'm not in pain. Um, but <laughs> That's I'm good. trying to think there's one more show that I really, 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 really dug. And it's a weird show from Australia. Uh, it's a it's a really dark sitcom uh, on Hulu, not on Netflix. All those three other shows were on Netflix. On Hulu, this show, I, I, it's called The Other Guy. Have you heard of this show? Nope. I haven't, dude, haven't. dude, it is so fucking funny and dark. It's just about this fuck up of a guy and just how like shit really goes wrong in his life but he's just a kind of a really sweet guy but not it's worth watching i th i think in particular you will love that show because it's just like this bittersweet comedy that's like really kind of dark just dark enough an australian um so yeah the other guy that's it those are my four right on any films any films or not uh i, I you know what that's not really not that i can think of i okay. I, I saw i saw one film but i think it's, it's a major pop culture film i think everyone has seen it and it shocked me how much i loved it and it was called it's called knives out uh oh yeah i haven't seen that yet either dude it's really 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 better than you think it'll be like i just thought it would be like oh it's like clue it'll be fun we'll just watch it i loved it i thought it was like I thought it was really, really like kind of a, one of the better films of last year, actually. Um, uh, and that's saying something in the year of Parasite and, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and all that. Um, that film is strong. So, okay. So, wow. So I feel like I mentioned a bunch of things that you haven't seen. Like, I yeah, yeah, you, no. I hope you enjoy them. Yeah, no, I'll check them out. I'll check them out for, for, uh, for real. I've been... I've been trying to sort of limit how much time I spend in front of the screen. And, okay. uh, you know, it's not, it's more just because this, I've been, you know, I've been playing a lot of video games also. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've been working on music and, you know, so I, I spend a decent amount of time. So I've been trying to read and like, kind of like temper it. So it's not just like, you know, I'm sitting down or watching stuff the whole time, but right. in the, in the interest of like, just, assuming this is happening for a long time it's nice to know there's a queue of stuff to uh to go through you know oh absolutely yeah well anyway dude thank you so much for uh doing this man it was a good chat we had yeah man i love doing this and i, and I hope you're having a good time doing it. It, it it actually can be really i love doing it i miss my having a show but you know it just we ran our course you know what i mean but you know I'm, I'm so stoked you're doing this and thank you for thinking of me oh man absolutely alright man I, I will uh, I'll talk to you soon alright bro alright well alright you too
Later. For more about Adam Dorn, you can go to Twitter and Instagram. You can also find his music as Motion Worker on Spotify and Apple Music. That's going to do it for today's episode. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Thanks for listening and be well. Be well.